In this episode of Flying Smarter, I'm starting off by talking about whether or not you can open an airplane door during your flight. Then, for the main segment, I chat with Felice and Peter Hardy about skiing and flying. Welcome to episode 10 of Flying Smarter, the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel. I'm quite happy about this episode because it's number 10, and that's really exciting for me because someone told me early on in my podcasting journey that a lot of new podcasters don't make it past the 7th or 8th episode because they either lose interest or find out that they don't have enough time to sustain it or something along those lines. But we're past that point and still going strong, and I want to thank you, the listener, for your continued support. If you do have any feedback or thoughts, though, I would love to hear them. Please do get in touch either through our website at flyingsmarter.com or on social media, and I'll have the links to those accounts in our episode description. The main segment for this episode is an interview with two travel writers who love to ski. I've taken a bit of liberty here and focused on a very particular topic. I personally love to ski and have always been envious of those who are able to take trips to far-off destinations just to ski or snowboard, but I've never gotten the chance to do so myself. And so I wasn't quite familiar with how the worlds of air travel and skiing intersect, so that's what I talked to my guest about here. I also thought it was quite fitting for an early winter episode as the ski season in northern parts of the world are starting up. But first, let's get started with the questions portion of this episode. Can you open an airplane door in flight? There's a fear out there that someone on your flight could open a cabin door during the flight and everyone around the door would get sucked out into the sky. And it doesn't really help that some movies out there have terrifying scenes of this happening with doors being opened during the flight and people being thrown out of the plane. Fortunately though, the reality is that it's impossible to open the door of an airplane while it's flying. Now, this isn't completely true because it is possible to open doors on some planes, like small recreational aircraft or skydiving planes, but what I'm trying to say is that on pressurized aircraft, which includes the vast, vast majority of airliners out there, it's impossible to open the doors during your flight. As you might remember from previous episodes of the podcast, the amount of air pressure decreases as we get higher and higher into the sky. Once we get to about 15,000 feet in the air, there's no longer enough oxygen in the air for humans. Planes fly at well above that though, sometimes upwards of 40,000 feet. And for this reason, aircraft are pressurized at high altitude so that passengers can safely function and breathe. What this means is that the air pressure inside the cabin is much higher than it is outside the plane. The process for opening doors on airliners pretty much always starts with some sort of inward movement. With the higher cabin pressure relative to the lower air pressure outside, the door is basically plugged into a hole. Think of it like the plug in a bathtub. To open a door in flight, you would have to pull the door inwards against all that pressure, which is basically an impossible task. To do it, you would require thousands and thousands of pounds of force. On top of that, There's also mechanical or electrical locks that are controlled from the flight deck that prevent the door from being opened. That being said, it is possible for passengers to open the doors while the plane is on the ground, and you may have seen news stories about this happening. In March 2020, for example, a passenger on a Frontier Airlines flight from Denver to Reagan Washington National Airport 
tried unsuccessfully to open a door in flight, but then managed to open it once the plane got on the ground, and they ended up deploying the emergency slide. And there's countless other media stories out there of people either unsuccessfully trying to open the door in flight, or successfully opening it on the ground. Did you know that the largest airline in the world by number of passengers carried is American Airlines? There's a number of ways to classify the size of an airline, and back in episode 3 of the podcast, I looked at fleet size. You might remember from that episode that American Airlines is also the largest airline in the world by fleet size or number of planes. If you look at the number of passengers carried in 2019 though, American and Delta are first and second, Southwest Airlines is third, United is fourth, and Ryanair is number five. I'm really excited to have Peter and Felice Hardy with me here today. Both of them are avid skiers and travel writers. They've written in numerous ski books and are co-editors on the ski information website We Love to Ski, and they host their own travel podcast. It's called Action Packed Travel. Peter is also a ski correspondent for British national newspaper The Telegraph, and Felice has contributed to pretty much every British national newspaper, and as well writes for a number of other travel publications, including British Airways' in-flight magazine High Life. Felice and Peter, welcome. Thank you for coming to the show. Thank you for having us. That's great to be here. I know this year isn't uh, a normal year, but can you give us a sense of how much skiing and traveling in general that you would do in typical times? Well, in a normal season, um, I think I'd probably travel a little bit more than Felice. We would come and go a bit, sometimes practically in the middle of the night, one goes back and the other one goes out. But in a normal season, I'd probably go to somewhere around 40 ski resorts worldwide. Uh, This year... I don't think I'm going to get skiing until after Christmas, maybe. And I haven't skied since January. So it's kind of strange time for us. Yeah, very odd. I don't ski as, as often as that, but I'll certainly go twice a month during the ski season. And um, I haven't skied since last January. I think that this year is going to be a, going to be a, a very interesting year for not just for traveling, but for, for skiing as well. I've, I've been wondering myself what uh, what's going to happen here as well. Now. Um, I'm I'm not too familiar with uh, with the area that you're from, but are you usually able to ski locally, or is most of your skiing? Um, do you have to be traveling abroad for that? Well, you can ski in Scotland, but that's quite expensive and quite hard to get to if you live in the south of England, like we do. So actually, for us, it's quicker and easier and cheaper to go to places like France and Austria. Um, so that's probably that's the nearest for us. And the the key ski hub for us really is Geneva Airport which is in Switzerland but from there you can reach France in a matter of minutes or you you drive into France Uh, and that is the main ski hub in Europe but also of course we fly to other places in Switzerland to Zurich we fly to Innsbruck in Austria uh, Munich in Germany so there's quite a few places that we we tend to fly to all of them are quite short haul flights for us because it takes about just under 90 minutes to get to uh, to Geneva and not something quite similar to, to fly to, uh, to Austria. Uh, so it's not, not, they're not really long journeys inside Europe. But of course, we go to North America as well. Right. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but for the most part, to get to all these places, you usually do take uh, short haul flights there as opposed to the train or, or uh, other modes of travel. Is that right? 
Yes, yeah, so we have a choice uh, living in England. We can we can fly or we can take the train and go underneath the English Channel in the tunnel. Um, the, the the in most winters, or always until this year, there's a, a a ski train at weekends that takes you from London all the way to uh, the, the French Alps, direct. Uh, but unfortunately, this year this is a Eurostar train that's been cancelled because of the present situation. Uh, the the Eurostar, the the train line is concentrating on, I guess, more profitable lines than that. And they've decided to temporarily at least cancel this train, which is a really big disappointment. You can, of course, go via other, uh, you can go by Paris. Uh, you can take a train to Paris and then another train to the French Alps. And you can say do the same thing to go to Austria and to Switzerland. But it's quite expensive. Train travel is for us quite expensive from the UK. It's, it's frankly cheaper to fly. But the train is much more convenient, particularly because you can take ski equipment with you, unlimited ski equipment with you on a train. Uh, taking your ski equipment by air is an expensive business. Right. Now, one of our main goals here on the podcast is to help people become savvier or better informed travelers. So let's talk a little bit about what it's like to travel uh, to ski or just stuff flying with uh, with a lot of equipment in general. Um, and I want to flesh out what you just mentioned there a little bit, Peter. H- how does bringing your ski equipment on a flight uh, on a flight work? Well, you, it varies from airline to airline quite dramatically. Uh, it, I guess the charges overall uh, somewhere in the region, I'll do it in euros, of uh, uh, 30 to 40 euros, 30 to 60 euros each way. So that, if you're a family of four, adds up to a lot of extra money. The only airline that actually takes your ski equipment for free is Swiss International. And if I can, frankly, I fly with them. Uh, it's, a, it's a very expensive business all, all around now. It used to be, years ago, you used to just take your skis and it was sort of, seen as part of your luggage. Now it's really complicated what you, you can uh, buy a separate whole bag for skis. If the, the canny traveler who doesn't care too much about what they're going to wear inside the resort will take a, a large double ski bag, take their skis and boots uh, in the bag, and then take all their clothes for the week inside the bag as well. That then counts as your whole bag. So you're just having one, one whole bag uh, as normal. Right. And, and I guess just even beyond ski equipment, you're traveling with uh, winter clothing, you know, you're most likely bringing your ski jacket um, and, and whatnot. Um, and that all tends to end up being uh, really heavy. Um, so so how, how do you usually manage, manage all that packing? Well, it's really bulky because you most people now wear a helmet as well, a ski helmet. So that takes up a lot of room. Um, but you can sort of stuff the ski helmet with your goggles and your ski socks and things like that. And I have actually once managed just to see if it would work to fit everything into quite a small bag that you can take into the cabin. But that's quite hot. You wouldn't fit ski boots in there, for instance. So, um, But you could sort of, if you're going for a weekend, you could probably manage just about. Yeah, it's a lot of gear to take with you. When I, when I pack to go skiing, which I do every week, uh, I, I tend to start by thinking, OK, what am I going to wear for skiing? So I have to go through boots socks, uh, uh, long johns, uh, mid-layers, uh, a jacket, uh, gloves. gloves, helmet, everything, uh, and get those all in. Well, by the time we've done that, there's not really much room for uh, you know, leisure wear. So it's quite a lot of stuff to take. It's a, it's a bore to take. 
you can, of course, uh, rent skis when you arrive, but it kind of depends on the destination you're going to, is whether you think that the ski shop will have what you want in it. I mean, there are even resorts where you can rent not just the skis and the boots, but you can rent clothing as well. But we don't normally do that because we've got our own, because we go so often. And you want to have your own gear with you in particular. Yeah. But you're right, there are, there are resorts, particularly in Austria, where you can uh, rent clothing in the resort as well as renting skis and boots. Now, be, beyond what we've covered already, do you have any other general uh, advice or tips for people who are traveling by air uh, to go skiing? Yeah, if you take skis, make sure you have a ski bag with wheels on it because it'll kill your back. Otherwise, you get to the resort and find you're, you're, in, you're in trouble physically before you even get on the mountain. So I'm always very careful to make sure that you, you I have done to a fine routine. I have my, my skis and my, and my boots. I travel as hand luggage because some airlines don't like this, but they don't necessarily know you're taking it as hand luggage. The reason being that um, if you have boots that... Um, you know, on my personal boots. If I lose my boots, um, I can't really ski. I, I need to have my own boots. So inevitably, there are the problems of particularly busy airports like Geneva, where you may not necessarily find that your skis and boots get on the same flight as you. They usually turn up in the resort within 24 hours. Airlines are pretty good at shipping them on and they send them by taxi to your, to your resort. But uh, it, it can certainly delay you. I think another tip is to go to a resort that isn't too far from an airport, because especially if you've got a fam, if you're a family with small children, you don't want to spend hours in a car or a coach getting from the airport to the resort. So there are in Europe quite a few resorts you can choose um, where it's maybe ninety minutes drive from the airport to the resort. And Whistler is another example where it's 90 minutes from Vancouver to Whistler. So that's convenient too. Right now, you obviously do a lot of traveling during the winter months and traveling, you know, to snowy destinations can sometimes produce some interesting experiences. Do you have any particularly memorable uh, stories from flying in the winter? Well, it's the weather is always a problem in the winter. Uh, I've flown into many times into Innsbruck Airport, which is a, a beautiful city of Innsbruck. It's hemmed in on either side by high mountains. And uh, years and years ago, I think in the early 1960s, there was a very bad air crash there. Um, and they, after that, they they built a, a whole new uh, air traffic uh, situation there. And it's but it's still very difficult to fly into. And I believe I'm right in saying that as the as the airline captain, you have to make a visual approach. Final, the final bit has to be visual. And if, if when you come down out of the clouds, you've got the mountain on the other side and you can't uh, see the runway because of fog or whatever, you have to go straight back up it again. And I've been, I've been done several situations there where we've gone round and round waiting to, uh, to try and land, waiting for the fog in particular to clear and uh, and then they go down and, and, and do it and you get almost the runway and then he the, 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 the captain decides that he's going to take the plane up again. And it's a pretty unnerving experience with some very frightened passengers. But yeah, it's, you, I've always landed safely. <laughs> Innsbruck, by the way, is in Austria, in case your listeners didn't know. 
Now, here's a question uh, for you, Felice. Uh, I know that you also write for an in-flight magazine, like I mentioned, and also a private jet magazine. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's like? Um, well, very different. Um, they're both very different. High Life magazine and NetJets magazine. So one of them is High Life is for British Airways and NetJets is for private jets. So for NetJets, I'm always encouraged to write about properties, the sort of high, really high-end properties that uh, people who go by private jet might want to stay in. And High Life is more sort of middle sort of properties. Um, but yeah, it's it's great writing for them. And I, actually, I have just written for High Life now. It's the first thing I've written in a while because of uh, you know lockdown and, and no travel. Um, but they obviously intend to publish their magazine as usual. Now, that's really interesting. I have never really... Uh, that's not something that I that, that I actually could consider. When I was thinking about all the topics about air travel, and uh, for some reason I didn't explore the whole world of the in-flight magazines because um, those are entire operations on their own. So that might be something uh, for me to look at uh, more more down the line. Now, now to to wrap up, um, I want to sort of stray away from 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 air travel and just purely talk about um, skiing for a little bit. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got into it, um, why you why you love it so much, and how you've managed to turn uh, it, uh, it it into what you you um, almost revolve your lives around. Yes, certainly. Well, for me, it began when I was about twelve years old. I went on a family ski holiday. Uh, really enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed the aqua ski more than the ski, but it was really good fun. And then we went on another couple of vacations after that. And then I didn't really ski very much uh, during my twenties. And then when I was about uh, got to about thirty, I. I went on another ski uh, trip for for a newspaper I was working for. And I thought, hey, this is fun. Actually, this is the most fun I've ever had in my life. And I just got completely and utterly hooked on it. And then uh, a while later, um, I met up with Felice, who'd been skiing all her life. And we uh, decided that we'd have a go at trying to make a living out of skiing, which seemed a bit hard to do. But all these years later, here we are doing it. Right. And you, you sort of went over a few, but can you just talk a little bit more about um, some of your top ski destinations around the world? I, either the ones that are, or I guess both the ones that are very well known and perhaps some that are more uh, offbeat. Okay. Well, our favorites, well, my favorites include Jackson Hole in Wyoming. Um, and of course, Whistler in Canada is great. Um, then in Europe, Zermatt in Switzerland, Kitzbühel in Austria, and Val d'Isère, Peter will tell you more about that, Val d'Isère in France. They're probably my favourites, but there are lots and lots of great places. Yeah, I think I have a, they're all, the ones you mentioned are in my top 10. Uh, I have a particularly soft spot for Val d'Isère in France. I spent quite a large proportion of my life there one way or another. And that's linked to Teen in France as well. And it's a, it's a very, very big ski area uh, with... Um, uh, and then quite enormous amount of skiing. Uh, it's about uh, the journey from uh, coming from England is you, you, you'd fly to Geneva and then the journey is about three hours by car from Geneva Airport. And other favourites, um, less well-known, are you, you can ski in Spain as well. And there's a place called Bakira Beret, which is great and very reasonably priced. In the Spanish Pyrenees. And it's in, in the Spanish Pyrenees. 
And then another one which we both like is Champeluc in Italy, which is actually, you can fly to, just as easily fly to Geneva and get there. And, um, and to Turin as well. It's actually quicker from Turin. Both. And that's really uncrowded, very good value. Um, we like both of those places a lot. Peter and Felice, uh, thank you so much for being here. Peter and Felice Hardy are both travel writers. They're based in the United Kingdom. They host their own travel podcast and are co-editors of ski website We Love to Ski. If you want to hear more from them, check out their podcast. It's called Action Packed Travel. You can find it at actionpackedtravel.com and we'll link to that in the episode description and we'll also include links to the We Love to Ski website as well as where you can find them on social media. Felice and Peter, thank you so much for being here. It was great chatting with you. Thank you very much indeed. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. It was great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Flying Smarter. Please go and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as Flying Smarter and on Twitter at Flying underscore Smarter. I'll put links to all our accounts in the episode description. I also want to give a heads up that I'm planning to take a holiday break for the next scheduled release date. New episodes come out every other Monday, so that would be December 21st. The current plan is to not have a new episode that day, but that might change and I might end up putting out some sort of holiday greeting or maybe even a full episode just depending on how things go. But I did want to give a heads up that I might be taking a break during the holidays. It's going to be an unusual and different holiday season for all of us, and I really hope that you are able to enjoy it despite what's going on in the world. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.